Good morning. <clears throat> uh, really glad you're here. So um, we have thrown a lot at you, including last week, trying to kind of quickly go through an overview of anger and covering <clears throat> the Arbinger Institute's book, The Anatomy of Peace, which you know could be a whole course in itself. So what we wanted to do this week was to go back to a piece of material that we only showed you a clip of, uh, but we want to show you the kind of the second part of that same clip. And then what we wanted to do was kind of just review or answer any questions or field any questions. I'm not sure we can answer them, but field any questions that you have about the material that we've covered kind of up until this point. And so we kind of got on speed dial over here all of our um, all of our slide presentations, all of our slide decks that we can kind of refer back to. So just kind of be thinking about and processing on any questions or comments you may have about past material because the second half of this will be, or more than the second half, will be whatever questions that you have. So um, I, I have a theory about some of these uh, fantastic, uh, you know, modern day philosophers and it really started um, uh, with Stephen Covey. And one of the things that I, I appreciate about Stephen Covey is that he was able to say things in a very simple form that all of us were kind of thinking or kind of intuitively thought, wow, that's really important. And I think that's what modern day philosophers are doing. I think Malcolm Gladwell does that. Uh, and I think that Simon Sinek does that and I want us to go back to this video clip <clears throat> from Simon Sinek about uh, where he was commenting on the Millennials and the section that we showed you the last time is where he talks about the fact that uh, he, he's talking about Millennials as they're going into the workplace and there's you know, a number of Millennials in this room and he's just talking about how employers can more effectively uh, encourage engagement with Millennials. But the second half of the video clip, he just talks about what's happening with technology and kids. And he's not a parenting expert, but like these great modern day kind of philosophers, he's able to really clearly talk about the content in very, very simple, clear forms. So I wanna talk, uh, sh show you that clip and let you just kind of process on it. And then whatever other questions uh, or uh, topics you'd like to discuss, we can. I've been struggling a little bit with my technology this morning, so hopefully this will work. So you take this group of people, and they graduate school, and they get a job, and they're thrust into, an, into the real world, and in an instant, they find out they're not special, their moms can't get them a promotion, um, that you get nothing for coming in last, and by the way, you can't just have it because you want it, right? And in an instant, their entire self-image is shattered. And so you have an entire generation that's growing up with lower self-esteem than previous generations. The other problem to compound it is we're growing up in a Facebook, Instagram world. In other words, we're good at putting filters on things. We're good at showing people that life is amazing even though I'm depressed, right? And so everybody sounds tough and everybody sounds like they got it all figured out. And the reality is there's very little toughness and most people don't have it figured out. And so when the more senior people say, well, what should we do? They sound like this is what you got to do. And they have no clue. <laughs> So you have an entire generation growing up with lower self-esteem than previous generations, right? Through no fault of their own. Through no fault of their own, right? They were dealt a bad hand, right? Now, let's add in technology. 
We know that engagement with social media and our cell phones releases a chemical called dopamine. That's why when you get a text, it feels good. Right? So you know we've all had it. We're feeling a little bit down or feeling a little lonely. So you send out ten texts to ten friends. You know, hi, 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 hi. Because <laughs> it feels good when you get a response, right? Right? It's why we count the likes. It's why we go back ten times to see if and if it's going. If our my Instagram is going slower, I, 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 did I do something wrong? Do they not like me anymore? Right? The, the trauma for young kids to be unfriended, right? Because we know when you get it, you get a hit of dopamine, which feels good. It's why we like it, it's why we keep going back to it. Dopamine is the exact same chemical that makes us feel good when we smoke, when we drink, and when we gamble. In other words, it's highly, highly addictive, right? We have age restrictions on smoking, gambling, and uh, alcohol, and we have no age restrictions on social media and cell phones, which is the equivalent of opening up the liquor cabinet and saying to our teenagers, hey, by the way, this adolescence thing, if it gets you down. <laughs> but that's basically what's happening. That's basically what's happening, right? That's basically what happened. You have an entire generation that has access to an addictive, numbing to chemical called dopamine through social media and cell phones as they're going through the high stress of adolescence. Why is this important? Almost every alcoholic discovered alcohol when they were teenagers. When we're very, very young, the only approval we need is the approval of our parents. And as we go through adolescence, we make this transition where we now need the approval of our peers. Very frustrating for our parents, very important for us, it allows us to acculturate outside of our immediate families into the broader tribe, right? It's a highly, highly stressful and anxious period of our lives, and we're supposed to learn to rely on our friends. Some people, quite by accident, discover alcohol and numbing effects of dopamine to help them cope with the stresses and anxieties of adolescence. Unfortunately, that becomes hardwired in their brains, and for the rest of their lives, when they suffer significant stress, they will not turn to a person, they will turn to the bottle. Social stress, financial stress, career stress, that's pretty much the primary reasons why an alcoholic drinks, right? What's happening is because we're allowing unfettered access to these dopamine-producing devices and media, Basically, it's becoming hardwired, and what we're seeing is as they grow older, they, too many kids don't know how to form deep, meaningful relationships. Their words, not mine. They will admit that many of their friendships are superficial. They will admit that their friends, that they don't count on their friends, they don't rely on their friends, they have fun with their friends, but they also know that their friends will cancel on them if something better comes along. Deep, meaningful relationships are not there because they never practice the skill set, and worse, they don't have the coping mechanisms to deal with stress. So when significant stress starts to show up in their lives, they're not turning to a person, they're turning to a device, they're turning to social media, they're turning to these things which offer temporary relief. We know, the science is clear, we know that people who spend more time on Facebook suffer higher rates of depression than people who spend less time on Facebook, right? These things balance. Alcohol is not bad, too much alcohol is bad. Gambling is fun, too much gambling is dangerous. Right? There's nothing wrong with social media and cell phones. It's the imbalance. Right? If you're sitting at dinner with your friends and you're texting somebody who's not there, that's a problem. That's an addiction. If you're sitting in a meeting with people you're supposed to be listening to and speaking and you put your phone on the table, face up or face down, I don't care, that sends a subconscious message to the room that you're, not just, you're just not that important to me right now. Right? That's what happens. And the fact that you cannot put it away is because you are addicted. Right? If you wake up and you check your phone before you say good morning to your girlfriend, boyfriend, or spouse, you have an addiction. 
And like all addiction, in time it'll destroy relationships, it'll cost time, and it'll cost money, and it'll make your life worse. Right? So you have a generation growing up with lower self-esteem that doesn't have the coping mechanisms to deal with stress. Right? Now you add in the sense of impatience. Right? They've grown up in a world of instant gratification. You want to buy something? You go on Amazon, it arrives the next day. You want to watch a movie? Log on and watch a movie. You don't check movie times. You want to watch a TV show? Binge. You don't even have to wait week to week to week. Right? I know people who skip seasons just so they can binge at the end of the season. Right? <laughs> Instant gratification. You want to go on a date? You don't even have to learn how to be like, hey. <laughs> you don't even have to learn and practice that skill. You don't have to be the uncomfortable one who says, says yes when you mean no, and says no when you mean no, and yes when you mean You don't have to swipe right. Bang, I'm a stud. <laughs> right? You don't have to learn the social coping mechanisms, right? Everything you want, you can have instantaneously. Everything you want, instant gratification. Except job satisfaction and strength of relationships, there ain't no app for that. They are slow, meandering, uncomfortable, messy processes. And so I keep meeting these wonderful, fantastic, idealistic, hardworking, smart kids that just graduated school. They're in their entry-level job. I sit down with them and I go, how's it going? They go, I think I'm gonna quit. I'm like, why? They're like, I'm not making an impact. I'm like, you've been here eight months. <laughs> it's as if they're standing at the foot of a mountain and they have this abstract concept called impact that they wanna have in the world, which is the summit. What they don't see is the mountain. I don't care if you go up the mountain quickly or slowly, but there's still a mountain. And so what this young generation needs to learn is patience, that some things that really, really matter, like love, or job fulfillment, joy, love of life, self-confidence, a skill set, any of these things, all of these things take time. Sometimes you can expedite pieces of it, but the overall journey is arduous and long and difficult. And if you don't ask for help and learn that skill set, you will fall off the mountain, or you will, the worst case scenario, the worst case scenario, and we're already seeing it, the worst case scenario is we're seeing increase in suicide rates, we're seeing an increase in this generation. We're seeing an increase in accidental deaths due to drug overdoses. We're seeing more and more kids drop out of school or take leaves of absence due to depression. Unheard of. These are all, this, is, this is really bad. The best case scenario, the best, those are all bad cases, right? The best case scenario is you'll have an entire population growing up and going through life and just never really finding joy. So, uh the purpose of this class is to depress you, and, <laughs> and we're trying our best. Uh, you know, uh, again, just again, b back to like Stephen Covey days, part of what makes somebody like Simon Sinek so compelling is just the incredible fluency and articulation he uses. He covered a lot there, a lot. But the two things he was focused on was the concept of what technology is doing to our brains, and then secondly, the concept of instant gratification. He, he covers in there a lot of the things we've covered so far as a backdrop. So let's pause and say what comments or questions do you have about Simon's uh, dialogue there? And then what questions or comments do you have about some of the other things that we presented? So who has the first comment? Yeah. I'm going to say probably... Most of y'all hate me for this, but I detest Facebook and social media because I feel like it 
steals from my family. Yeah. And um, whether it's myself or uh, you know, someone spending time on the phone, it's smartphones in general. And you're sitting there, you have no conversation. You're tired, you want to unwind, so all you're doing is you're on your phone, your kids are watching this. You're in the car, you're on your phone, your kids are watching this. Um, I think that is destroying marriages. Mm -hmm. And I think it is destroying self-worth. And I think that it is distracting us from what God has meant for us to be present in the moment of his kingdom. And ultimately, we're going to get older. And as we get close to our deathbed, we're going to regret the fact that we spent half our lives in front of a screen and not enjoying all the things around us that God gave us and the relationships that he introduced into our lives. Okay. Thank you. Other questions or comments about what you said? Yes. I really appreciated all of it. I thought about, for myself growing up, some things that I'm really encouraging with my child, who's a little younger right now, but the things that do take a really long time to build, mm-hmm. like proficiency with an instrument mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Um, a sport that you have to start out and you fail a lot and, mm-hmm. you, get, and you get that resiliency mm-hmm. and you get that team, you know, those relationships that come from being a part of a group and playing your instrument along with other people playing theirs. I, I think there are some things that are still really popular, I guess, and around that can counter what's going on. Mm, good. Yeah, good. Uh, raise your hand if, if by chance you watch Stranger Things. Raise your hand. It's, it's okay. That's not like an outing. We do too. Uh, and one of the things I think that makes the, the whole premise of the, of the show so endearing is because they've, they've, they've understood their target audience. They're, they're showing that programming to a generation of, of, of now adults who grew up during that era. And so to call your friends on the walkie-talkie, <laughs> right? And to have those kind of hideout escape relationship moments mm-hmm. just really kind of deepened the relationship. And so it's, there, there's, there's something there that, that, you know, our souls are longing for in terms of uh, the retroactive, uh, you know, philosophy of those relationships. But it's interesting to me. Other comments or questions about what you heard up there? You know, is this is this an issue for you as you struggle to parent? You know, some of you have uh, shared with Catherine and I over the years. You know, uh, when do I give them a cell phone? Do I give them a smartphone? Uh, you know, uh, what are the things about putting it up at night? Um, you know, you heard Coach B talk about, you know, how he feels about that, and I and I almost feel like we've given in to our culture a little bit in kind of believing the lie that the technology belongs to the kids when in actuality we're paying for the technology. It's, it was the hardest thing for us and our family to convince our kids, our boys, that the device in their pocket, you know, the smartphone, that it, you know, that's, it's a $600 device. I mean, it, they, they don't think of it that way because of the way the marketers say, you know, it's $200, whatever. <coughs> Uh, when they recently changed their pricing strategy, I think that became more apparent. But, you know, it's, my parents would never let me carry around a $600 device when I was a child, right? The, the, I rode a motorcycle and it was probably, uh, you know, $400, $200, whatever. Um, but they would never let me carry around a piece of $600 electronics. Other questions or comments? 
thoughts? Looking yeah. over there, it's just that the importance of teaching or bringing and learning toughness is something yeah. that's, that's, I guess, our kids are pre-cell phone in their third grade and under yeah. now, but the fact that like you have to work hard to get something, we appreciate your effort, but if you're last place, that's what it is. Yeah. So like that. Knowing that they're going to get to a point where they have to try to learn and, and failing now is better than failing later, but Breathing in that ability to keep and persevere is one of the Yeah, so, um, you know, we, right now, I appreciate you saying that. And I think that um, part of if, if there's a kind of a feature <coughs> thesis plank we've tried to suggest at the outset from, from this class, and that is the, the gift you can give your child is the idea of resiliency just the outcome of resiliency. Teach them how to be tough, don't rescue them. And we say that just from a heart of, you know, there's one of ours who has particular, you know, learning differences and challenges whom we've rescued more than others. And just like the, the book that we've alluded to, you know, we've become enmeshed in the rescuing. And we've not allowed uh, him, and at times some of our other children, to just establish their own sense of who they are, good, bad, and different. <coughs> but the sense of failure is really important. Failing and not medicating that failure and not, you know, trying to take away that pain is really important. So one of the things we've we've uh, had to do in our journey with Jake, uh, who's you know finishing up his program in Costa Rica, is uh, <coughs> part of what. <laughs> What he was struggling with was a definition of success. Uh, what is success? And that's actually a really profound question. Remember, I remind you that we're uh, communicating with him once a week by letter. So it's just this incredible, like, you know, it's like something out of the movies or a novel, right? We're writing one letter a week, he's writing one letter a week, right? It's not like we're, you know, back in the war times or something. And we're uploading it through a website. Uh, and, uh, so he asked, what, Dad, what is your definition of success? Wow, you know, holy cow, how many times do you get that moment? And, but that's really convicting. And I would just encourage you as a parent to, to wallow in that for a moment and think about what your definition of success is. And so after, thankfully, we were kind of going through this class to, and studying some of the material and, and you know the, the definition of success for us was it's about the process. For, for me specifically as an entrepreneur it's about it's about the chase. I'm so afraid you know like the dog chasing the car you know I'll be in trouble if I ever catch one you know and so the, the chase is more important to me than the destination. The journey is more fulfilling to me than the destination. The failure, the feedback loop, the trying to and so I just think we've just got to sit down where you're describing, Ryan, which is to teach a lot about resiliency. Um, I have served on a nonprofit board of a school, and the administration there, I mean, the overwhelming thing that they deal with is parents who are trying to compensate for their child having a failure. And, and they, they want it to go away. They, they want to do something about it. They want to, you know, and, and so if you recall in the 
preceding part of Simon Sinek's comment, he talks about the fact that when often when younger folks are entering, entering the workplace, they become accustomed to getting in honors classes. This is his analogy in the in the in this section. Uh, they've become accustomed to getting on honors classes not because they're competent, but because their parents have lobbied for them to be in honors classes. And so, you know, mom or dad can't come to work with them to lobby for them to get a promotion. And so, it's just kind of this. So, I, I just agree. I think that we've got to teach those kids uh, resilience. That's that's really what's about. Other questions or comments? Um, <clears throat> I feel like when we were all younger, we got really good at being bored and coping with being bored. And my kids have no concept of what right. it means to be bored. And I've wondered before, is that something that we need to really be intentional about? Let them have time to be bored, or are they never gonna have to deal with that? Yeah. You know, so like even in the back of the car, we don't usually let them have devices in the back of the car, but, but like they'll want to read a book or you know, something and, and if we don't, if it's dark and they we won't use our phones to have a light to read a book, they're like, Well, what am I supposed to do? I have nothing to do. Right. So anyway, I'd be interested, do you all feel like it is important, that's an important skill yeah. to learn, or are they not going to be called to do yeah. that? Catherine alluded to the fact that she and her brother, when they were moving down <coughs> from Cleveland, Ohio, uh, back to, to Alabama, they, you know, rode signs and sat in, the, in what we call the way back of a station wagon. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. It's one of the coolest places on the planet to be, is facing the back windshield, right? Uh, and. Uh, you know, uh, I was packed back there with the coolers when my family would go to Florida, and I loved it. I just loved having my own space back there. But you kind of, you know, on a trip like that, you have to come up with things. They still sell me Cracker Barrel. You know, we had car bingo, right? And so nothing, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think the boredom thing is something that um, the kids have got to overcome. And... We did some really sappy things with our boys, money. I don't know if you, Tanya, did some things similar with your girls, but we would uh, make, we, I, don't, I think we recently may have thrown them out, but we would make swords, like just in my small wood shop at home. We would make, you know, we would just cut, you know, a one by three or four uh, or half by three or four and make literally kind of a sword out of wood and we would then, you know, go to the hardware store, let them pick out the paint, which was a total disaster itself, and let them paint their sword. And then you would release them into the backyard and say, okay, now go knock yourself out. But the, the, the buy-in that they have from actually participating in the process, and, uh, you know, there's a whole discussion about, you know, violence and guns and weapons, and here's the deal on that one, and that is, if we take, took weapons away from our boys, they would simply chew their grilled cheese sandwich in the shape of a gun. So it's something, it's something hardwired into them. I, you know, we don't have any guns in the house, but we have wooden swords that we've made and painted. Um, and we made the same thing like with like, it's funny now thinking back on little switchblade pocket knives made of wood that, that you know, they can do something with. And we had a ton of, uh, of costumes, just a t you know, even for our boys, right? You don't think of boys dressing up. We just had a ton of costumes <clears throat> and encouraged them to kind of get out of the board and boredom by saying, look, these are the resources that are available to you. Go and figure out something to do with that. But I, I think you're hitting on something really important there. And I, that is, I think we see ourselves as the master scheduler and programmer in their lives, and we're robbing them of a chance to do something creative. 
even with uh, our creative team at the office, we've got about 30 or something uh, folks on the design team, we have Legos at the office. <clears throat> and the beauty of a Lego, especially if you don't buy the pre-packaged kits, okay? Don't buy the pre-packaged kits, which we bought a, a thousand of. <laughs> but uh, then they're forced to create the design outcome on their own. And that's, that's a really important skill to build, is, okay, what can I make out of squares to make into the ultimate shape I want? So that tactile stuff, you know, I'm just so afraid. I, uh, I was somewhere yesterday in the, in the checkout line, and the kid was <coughs> watching, you know, veg, like in the shopping cart, the kid was watching VeggieTales on an iPad in, <coughs> in the shopping cart. And, and I get it. I, you know, I understand. I think that... There are, there are times when Bob and Larry can really take <laughs> take you to a different place, but uh, I just worry that we've compensated by giving them the screen. Mm -hmm. so, yes. One more thing: in the '70s, there was a classic that came out book, uh, "The Road Less Traveled" by Scott Peck. Yeah, mm -hmm. you read that, but I think it's very, very <coughs> and if you take a look at what he talks about, the whole concept is that as soon as we as humans realize that life in itself is full of pain and suffering, then we can have joy because we've acknowledged the reality of what we have to live with. And further, he talks about some of the things that as children and as parents, you teach your kids. So delayed gratification examples. Okay, you have to eat all of your dinner before you eat dessert. You have to delay that gratification because it teaches them that skill going forward to self-discipline, those types of things that if children don't receive that, uh, then they just expect things. And then also the concept of we'll go through links and links to avoid pain, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, and that's where medicating and addictions come in. So um, I would just recommend, that book is so <coughs> expensive now, but it is a fantastic yeah. read. The Road Less Trap. The Road Less Trap. <coughs> Good. Thank you. Other questions or comments? Yes. John, I think saying all of this is one thing and actually doing it is completely another. Um, we have just a scenario that, that was recent. We have a rule, no phones at the dinner table, no electronics. For Lucy, that means no books. Um, at the dinner table, and we took some of our son's friends out to Burger Pop. I mean, no big deal. And all of the boys had their phones out sitting in a restaurant and I'm, a, I'm appalled but on the other hand how do I discipline those yeah. other five boys that are with us and I did I mean not just I just said put your phones away or I'm going to take them yeah. you guys need to sit here and talk and then now I'm the mean mom I'm sure yeah. but instead of talking they, I mean, they could not they could not turn those over or, or put them away and then they're taking pictures and, you know, I mean, so that's the hard part yeah. is the peer pressure. You know, the other thing is, you know, we struggled with and, you know, we, we have some professionals who, who help us with different things with our kids. And one of the things they that we were holding out on the cell phone, Jack was the only kid that graduated in sixth grade who didn't get one. I mean, he, it wasn't until like August and he had to earn it all summer and they said he needs one 
socially, he is going to be ostracized if he doesn't have this. And it's, it's true. I mean, it's terrible, but that's really and truly where we are. So I, of course, went and locked the whole thing down, <laughs> you know. But he has to ask even to get a free app. And it's, it's because I don't want this taking over. And it's easier for me if it's just locked down. I mean, and, and even researching how to do that was very difficult. I'm sure somebody here probably could have helped me. But that, that's really become difficult. And then the other thing these professionals have done is um, when we can enforce it. Jack does not have access to his cell phone unless we give it to him. So if he wakes up, gets himself up in the mornings, which for a seventh grader is not always what they want to do, and he gets he gets himself up, that's the first bogey. He earns 15 minutes on his cell phone after he does his homework. Then if he turns in his cell phone when he gets home from school, he gets another 15 minutes. But so it's that delayed gratification that we're trying to teach him, you know, in, in doing that. No, do we always we fall off the bus sometimes. But <coughs> two two points. Number one, we make our kids earn electric screen time. Period. They they are not given screen time and not earning it. Um, the now TV's <laughs> TV is no big deal anymore. Right. But the other thing is the peer pressure on us of not wanting our child to be left behind yeah. socially is is a big consideration. Yeah. Even in getting social media accounts. Yeah. Catherine, you were saying. Um, <coughs> when you have a group like that together, it is really hard when you have different expectations and rules but you can make it fun you if you take a group to butterfly you can do something like you can explain hey we have a rule at our house we don't use technology um but have something fun planned have you know top topics like fun questions that would get some great conversation so they're not sitting there bored and feel like it's a punishment or man his mom is so mean you know <coughs> you don't want to be that you want to be the fun mom and and just have something really stimulating to offer if you're going to ask them to, you know, follow your rules. I, that's my would be my only suggestion. Uh, I know that I've I've seen some things where young adults have realized they're doing too much of phones at the at a restaurant with everybody, and they all put their phone in the center of the table, and whoever um, picks their phone up first has to buy, you know, or something like that. You know, just that's for older, you know, just. Just for the realization of this is consuming us and we're here to be present. So, somebody else had a question for me. Just to speak on that, I think I'm a little bit more that um, be the influencer that you want your child to be. Mm -hmm. So, having a fun game or something to say, hey, can you put this down? I think we have to teach our kids to be the ones that carry conversations. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is sad to see that, but if they don't learn from us at the dinner table and the
they won't make the process to get there. And so I don't think they even have the, the, the passion that we were all raised with to have um, to become a CEO. To become, there's no position or title that they're going to run for. Right. They want to have purpose. And they don't know what purpose means anymore. Mm. They know that, oh, if you're an influencer, then you have purpose. Mm. Yeah, so that's a great point. Yeah, so many uh, stories, whether they're you know from American Idol or you know, Jake is preoccupied with these guys who drive Maseratis and play video games on YouTube. And I, I, I don't understand that. Mom, this is my <laughs> I don't get it, but uh, he swears that they're driving you know uh, European automobiles as a result of them playing video games on YouTube. <laughs> um, but he's aspiring a little bit there. Uh, but I, I, I think that Kevin's point uh, is well made. Terry alluded to the same thing. You know, and that, that's a totally different concept, but one that we can certainly support here at Otter Creek, and that is, uh, you know, sadly, you're going to have to swim upstream as a parent in your peer group and at school and in, you know, sports teams and things like that and we were just never afraid of joking <coughs> with the other kids and the other parents and say look you know we're practically Amish <laughs> you know, and we, that's you, we're just you know and so we don't do our movies we don't and if our child is coming over can you choose a different movie or our child isn't going to come and um, we, we had a great preacher in Houston, Texas, Ronnie Norman. He had this fantastic object lesson that, that we just really resonated with. And he said that, you know, as Christians, we want to be at arm's length from culture. But the problem is culture is continuing to decline, and we keep that same relative distance, and we're going with them. And so somehow you've got to find your, your family's values and beliefs. And, and we've said before, and I look back in, in our notes, we said a number of times, you're trying to teach a concept of values and beliefs, what your family values and believes, not compliance. Not compliance to the rules, but here's what we value and believe. And so I, I, I think you've got to be aggressive about saying, hey, you know, our, our family doesn't, when we go out, our family doesn't do that. But Catherine alluded to it. If you haven't seen it, I'm sure you've seen it. It's probably all over Pinterest. But... Uh, there's actually a little thing you can buy called table toppers, and there's a family edition of it. And what the authors and creators of that have done that is so ingenious is they've created these completely open-ended questions to help you as a parent after you're exhausted, you know, you're completely worn out, and you've tried to, you know, order groceries or go to <coughs> groceries and then put some food on the table and sit down for that moment, and then you're supposed to somehow engage your children and, and we tend to say, well, you know, how was school day? Good. You know how that goes. So table topics will say something like, if you were stranded on a desert island, who's the one person and the one thing you would take with you? And so it kind of gets this kind of free-form, open-ended thinking, and you just go around the table and kind of respond to that. Um, that was valuable for us to kind of get conversation going. Uh, now we can't get ours to shut up. <laughs> but don't be afraid to take. There's all kinds of fun card games that you can just keep in your purse, in your car. We've played that in restaurants at tables. Um, if, if, if all else fails, would you rather? That's all it's always mm -hmm. a win. Especially with boys. Would you rather? Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I remember um, when I was growing up, we were riding with uh, uh, someone else, some other uh, set of parents. And I, I remember when the kid uh, whose mom was driving told a joke and included the word fart. And I was horrified as a child. <laughs> <laughs> because my parents never, they never said that. We thought it was profanity. <laughs> we did. And uh, when they ever said difficult words, not like there's a movie that does this, but my parents always whispered the word. Spelled them. Yeah, or spelled them. <laughs> spelled Maybe I'm hitting a nerve. Uh, <laughs> spelled it right. So that's the way you avoided it. But those moments in time where the point of that side conversation was to say those moments in time where a child says, my parents believe and taught something different in contrast to what I'm seeing now, forcing them into that kind of cognitive dissonance is healthy for them to deal with. This is why don't we do that? You know, the first time that we ever heard Ben say S-H-I-T was when he was pummeling Jake on the patio, which is a whole story into itself because Jake was being so disrespectful to Catherine and me, and so Ben caught up with him. Jake was probably 16, and Ben was pounding and, and cursing at the top of his lungs. That was the first night that what is now Will's wife was ever staying with us, and Ben was just profanity legs <laughs> on the patio uh, and giving Jake. And the amazing thing is. <coughs> We were really impressed uh, <laughs> on a couple of fronts. One, we were we were really impressed because we'd never heard this vocabulary in our home before, so we were just shocked. We were impressed, not in a good way, but we were just impressed. <laughs> and then, secondly, we were impressed that he was trying to defend the family, uh, and you know, to try to to remind Jake that he can't be disrespectful to his mom. And, and then we had this morning to deal with the what would become the fiance now wife and mm -hmm. try to say, you know, are you sure you know where you're getting This is kind of bad news here. Any other questions or comments? I'll, I'll say yeah. more, and I apologize for taking up so much time. One, one of the things that Amber and I have done, and not done as well, we took a date night a couple of years ago at Starbucks, and we sat down and got to have a little notebook, and we talked and said, what are our family values? Mm. What are the goals for our family? And what are the family generational cycles or curses we are going to break? Mm. And we just talked about it and listed all of those things down. Because I think trying to teach value and vision to our children is impossible unless we have mm. actually defined it ourselves. And that's a changing thing. As you go through yeah. stages of life, your values change, your, your beliefs change. but. I still remember my mother, my mother would say, you know, my goal in life is to raise you children as believers so that you're moving to the kingdom of God. And that was the repeated thing over and over and over. Raise me as believers, raise me as believers. And that's not necessarily what we're communicating to our children, but um, we are through different sets of values now. The yeah. same sort of concepts. So yeah. taking the time to do that and be on the same page with your spouse I mean, it builds intimacy, yeah. and, and it's very helpful. It's no longer chic because it's so past uh, print and not novel. You know, we're going to need somebody else to come out with a new version of it. But Stephen Covey's Seven High Habits of Highly Effective Parenting is a great read if you don't have one. He talks a lot about establishing values. And his metaphor in the book 
and uh, Michael travels a lot, I travel a lot, I have an app that actually can let me see the flight path of a plane that I'm waiting on to get on, you know, in the airport, or, or a plane that I'm on. And, and one of the things he says as a metaphor in the book is, if you establish the values, that's the destination you're going for. And I think it is 90% of the time, a commercial flight is off course 90% of the time because they're making weather corrections or wind corrections or other air traffic corrections. But the point is they get to the destination. And so focusing on the big picture of these anchor values is really important. Any other questions or comment? Okay, thanks. We'll see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.